I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hello, and welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is the co-captain, Mike. And we just wrapped a really fun interview. I was super inspired by Sadie Lincoln, who's the founder of Bar 3, which has over 125 locations around the world. It is a bar studio, which if you have not ever taken a bar class, it combines, it kind of combines yoga, Pilates, and bar, like dance, a little bit, ballet-inspired movements. It's a very intense workout, and there's, you know, lots of different kinds. But I love that, and you'll hear Sadie talk about this during the interview, that her particular workout really infuses this philosophy of being your own guide and freedom, which we're huge believers in. So Sadie began with Flagship Bar 3 Studio in Portland, Oregon, and it's really a whole health fitness class committed to mind and body results. So as opposed to like, you know, promising perfect abs and a lifted butt, it's really about a personal journey as well, which I really love. Her modern approach offers accessible programs and inspiration for balanced living. And I have to tell you, I have not been into the word balance until I heard the way Sadie describes it during this interview. So you're going to want to listen in for the definition of balance that Sadie gives during this interview. So her franchises and online workouts have attracted A-list celebrities, everyday parents, and major publications such as Fast Company, Self, Nylon, and Entrepreneur. She started teaching group exercise 20 years ago while attending UCLA, and she since opening her first studio in 2008, has, as we said, over 100 studios around the globe and 250 plus do anywhere online workouts as well, plus whole foods-based recipes, a thriving digital magazine, and an annual retreat that inspires healthy, balanced living. I love that. And Sadie runs the company with her husband. They have two kids, 12 and 13. They live in Portland, Oregon. And I really particularly loved, as I said, hearing about her really unconventional childhood, being raised by a bunch of moms with a bunch of kids all together in a village. So you're going to want to hear about that. Her description of balance and why she has kind of divorced herself from being a wellness figure, like a public wellness figure. And then I also really loved her guidelines for social media for herself and her family and her practices around that. What stuck out for you, hon? All of the above. She, a little bit of a powerhouse over there in Portland, Oregon, Sadie and her husband, Chris. And it's really cool. Their story, how they got their business started. I just liked hearing about, you know, what it's like to work with your husband. You know, she talked about that because Kate and I, you know, do that a lot. And then also just her mindset as a business owner and kind of her philosophy as, because they just took some time off from growth. They used to have a lot of, you know, for franchisees, people joining. And so you can make a lot of money initially because there's a big franchise fee usually that comes. So it's an infusion of cash right off the bat. So they stopped that for about six months or so. And they weren't allowing anyone else to become a franchisee at that moment. 
And so you're learning about, you know, getting in depth in what they actually learned by being still and slowing down. Because now you're really finding out what your business is made of when we stop and kind of slow down and figure out where, you know, where the pieces are, where the growth needs to take place. Where have we overgrown? What have we done incorrectly? What's going to take us helpfully to the next level, preparing us for what's coming next? So it was cool hearing that story from her and just she's really cool like i like her this is a good she's a good lady really good head on her shoulders from a business perspective from an operations perspective and i just liked hearing too kind of the philosophy she's helping her kids are older than penelope and our future child so they're like 12 and 13 and what that's like now because that's a different stage of life she's at a different stage of life than we are and kind of what her philosophy is when it's going about raising her kids right now so it's cool also, you'll hear Sadie do a live dream analysis of one of Mike's dreams, which was pretty Yeah, cool. yeah that was so, funny. And well, it, I think the interesting part about that is it was kind of a live dream analysis of my dream, but we started talking about it. But it was really about how you can interpret your own dreams and yeah. what that means. So, And I think it was really interesting insight coming from her mom. It's her mom and her aunt's that really gave him some great insight of exactly how to, for those of you that dream, like I dream, but a lot of time I don't remember it, but there's times that it sticks out. So it's just asking me those questions, like what's happening with there. So cool. Enjoy the episode. And as always, if you enjoyed it, please leave us a review. You can also comment and leave us a comment or a follow-up question over at katenorthup.com forward slash podcast. And if you have not yet, please subscribe and enjoy the episode. Do it. Subscribe. Yeah. Enjoy. Welcome to the Kate and Mike show. This is Mike. And this is Kate. Hi, Sadie. Thanks for being here. Hi, my pleasure. Uh, This is, I've just, I've heard so much about you through our dear mutual friend, Noah, who's working with you. And I know Noah is also a listener on the podcast, so we have to do a shout out to Noah. Hi, Noah. Noah Noah Levy. So first off, I would love to know. We should talk about the synchronicities first. Synchronicities? Yes. Is that, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So Taos, New Mexico. Yeah. So you grew, so you grew up outside of Taos, but then you moved to Eugene? Yes. Right. I was born in Taos. I know Arroyo Seco because my aunt and uncle, I don't know if you've been back, you know, when or whatever, but my aunt and uncle owned the Abominable Snow Mansion, the youth hostel there. Oh my gosh. Wow. Really? Yeah. That's a cool connection. Yeah. So I've, I've been to Arroyo Seco and they used to live in this amazing adobe house with a tree growing through the middle of their living room. And it's a wild place. Oh, that's so cool. So you, how long did you live there? Five, uh, close to five years. And I was born in one of those Adobe homes and ours did not have electricity. Amazing. (laughs) Hippie good. Yeah. Totally, totally happy kid. Yeah. So, so I know one of the things I've, I've heard is that you had a somewhat unusual upbringing. And one of the things we talk about a lot is the importance of recreating the village yeah. while raising children. And so you have an unusual experience with that. Do you mind sharing what your childhood was like? I mean, that's I, a good question. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I love your description, the word village, because we struggle as a family. So the kind of short version of the story is my mom and her dear friends who they met 
in their 20s. They were part of the counterculture. They had dropped out and gypsy-like, figuring out kind of a new way to live, a new way to look at the world. And very intellectual. They were studying Carl Jung um, together in the countryside. And they all ended up getting pregnant. The dads all split. So they said, hey, let's do this together. Let's raise these kids together. And But we were not in a commune. And my mom always, you know, really like the hairs on her neck stand up when I describe it as even communal because there's a attachment and a brand around commune that was different. And that's the whole, that's who they are. It was fiercely kind of themselves and not following anything really. And the idea of village is really sums it up. We pulled our resources together and my mom and who I consider my aunties to this day established core values as a family. We'd sit together in a circle and everybody had a voice. Everybody mattered. A lot of our family values are around inner work and looking inside for answers and being seen as an individual. But other than that, I was just living close to nature and honestly, just they were broke and figuring out how to collaborate. You know, I'll watch the kids while you go to work and let's garden together and let's potluck instead of hosting a big dinner party. And, you know, just they used to go behind grocery stores and get the seconds, you know, the perfectly great lettuce that might be kind of wilted on the outside or the misshapen potato. And they were just resourceful. They figured out a resourceful way to be off the grid and parent in a way that was mindful and connected and new. You know, they came from the 50s. So it was like a whole nother way of things. Yeah, big time. And were you in the same house as your aunties and the other kids? Or were you in different houses close together? All different scenarios. I think I lived, my mom and I counted by the time I was eight, I lived in like 20 homes or something. I mean, it's just like crazy. So we were definitely moving around a lot. But most of the time, I would say it was more like roommates. So my mom and Liz, Liz's daughter, Sophia, we lived together the longest. And then down the street was Lucia and Susan and their kids, Chia and Miguel. And so we all kind of, it's, that's why the village is such a great, and it was, was, we stayed close and we sort of moved around as a pod. Uh Uh-huh. And did you go to traditional school or did you, were you kind of unschooled or homeschooled? I went to, well, that's why we moved from Taos. They weren't, they didn't love the school system at the time. Mm -hmm. That was actually the motivation to move to Eugene, Oregon. And I went to Montessori for a moment. And then I did go to an art school called Magnet Arts, which is alternative. And I say to this day, I mean, I can make like a mean clay coil pot, but I don't know grammar. (laughs) (laughs) Those coil pots really come in handy. (laughs) My mom's always like, you can all all right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. And are you still make the pots? I have I need to get my hands in clay. I haven't I need to get back into that actually. Not that enough long. potting pottery going on. You can, yeah. It could be your next franchise. This is the pot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the clay potting <laughs> franchise. This is so funny. And are you still in touch with a lot of your the kids you grew up with and your aunties? Oh yeah. We're all getting together. Most of us are getting together for Thanksgiving this oh, year. Oh, cool. I consider them my brothers. That's and your family. Aunties. They are absolutely my family. They're chosen family. Fictive kin is the sociological term. Oh. I wrote a paper on it in, in college, and yeah, I discovered it's actually a thing. Yeah. Cool. Wow. I've never heard of that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 
Now, okay, so, but you, so you're married to your business mm-hmm. partner yes. <laughs> um, and your husband, yes. obviously, and you, you guys have two kids? Yes. How old are your kids? 12 and 13. Oh, wow. 12 and 13. Yeah. So how has, and so you like have more of a traditional nuclear family now, is that correct compared to how you grew up? Yeah, definitely. Nuclear, structured. I I got married. My mom didn't get married. My kids have his last name. I had my mom's last name. So we, yeah, I'm more traditional. I've, more in the middle. And I would say that I've, I'm 45 years old now, and it's become more important to me than ever to make sure that I am preserving and growing the way I grew up. It's for my children. And I have, we call ourselves the crew. So I have my own village, dear friends and their children. And I've educated them about how I grew up. And we've incorporated some of our rituals into our crew circle. So we'll do, like I did a summer solstice circle, for example, where we all sat in a circle and shared, you know, about what summer means to us. And, you know, just starting to integrate some of that value into my life has become increasingly important. Mm. Would you mind sharing other rituals that you're like you learned and then kind of what you're doing now, like these, as you want to instill these into your kids in the village that you're creating now in Oregon still, what are some of the other things we do the summer solstice? We do the, do the summer solstice and the winter winter solstice. solstice. We're pretty hardcore about those two. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of come and go. Well, it's your birthday. I know. So we miss that one usually because we're, we don't miss it. We're like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Every year is like Kate's birthday in, in March 21st. So it's like some epic trip that we've, you know, now we're about to have another kid on your birthday. Could, so, could you know, be given could birth be, on my birthday. Yeah, I don't know. Oh boy. You're going to have to share it. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm good with that. Birthdays are meant to be selfish and celebrated. <laughs> so I would say the number one ritual is dreams. Remembering my dreams and if I don't write them down or jot down a little note about them, I usually more often than not, I'll call my mom and talk it out. And that's been a part of who I am from the very moment. I remember thinking I learned how to remember my dreams and to see them as a way of checking in to the inner world and the unconscious and to pay kind of tribute to that. And my, it's, you know, collective conscious, there's all this, there's a, it's a kind of heady stuff, but for a really simple, I just understand my dreams so well. And I know what the different characters, the dark side of me, the light side of me, the different characters in my dreams are actually a reflection of things I'm working out or it's an entry point to self-awareness basically. Mm-hmm. So that's something I continue. And every morning I'll say to my kids, just like my mom did, did you have a dream? You know, did you have a dream? And they're always like, no, but I said the exact same thing to my mom. So I know just saying that makes them conscious of, oh, dreams are interesting and maybe could be investigated and, you know, something to think about. So that's one thing. Can I ask you more about this dreams? So like, who do you talk to about your dreams? Like beside your mom, or do you only talk to your mom? And then what? Okay. So I had a crazy dream the other day. Can I share this? And then we can we can do this like a live thing. So I actually like, I haven't told you, I can't wait to see. So I killed somebody and then buried them and then hit it. And then I walked around with like this 
it was, you know, I wasn't, and then I eventually had to tell Kate, but I don't remember. That's like, I remember this and it only came up yesterday because somebody mentioned something to me, but yeah. So it's like, then you start diving into deeper, like, is that I've never done like what you're talking about? I have no idea. So I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, I call my mom because my mom and my aunties are experts at this. They don't, they've never done anything. They don't make money off it, but they're really intellectually stimulated by Carl Jungian psychology and, and this whole idea of the unconscious and dreams. Mm -hmm. So they, I have these amazing people I talk to and a lot of it's about intuition and less about death is a symbol of snake is a symbol of it's, it's not, it's really a entry point into investigation. And I had a dream, that when I first had a baby that I had a dream, a repeated dream that I kept putting the baby in a drawer and shutting the drawer. My mom burst out laughing when she heard that because it's a sign of like, I'm trying to put that. It's such a transition to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And there was a side of me that was like, I need to put it in a drawer. Like oh, this, yeah. right. Yes. Mom thing. Like, like I want to kind of, and so with that dream about killing someone, there's so many things to investigate there. Like, what is it? that you're killing. I mean, that's such a violent act, right? And there is so much dark, there is so many dark things out in the world. And I can imagine my aunties would ask you a lot of questions about that. And, you know, what is it about, you know, death and your part in death that, you know, is present for you right now? You know, it's just like, it's just, it's sort of like, to me, I mean, I don't take it too seriously. You know, like I love reading astrology, my horoscope. And it's often just a jumping off point for me to reflect on something. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Moment to look inside. Cool. Some dream interpretation that I've kind of studied says you want to get closer. Oh, sure. (laughs) Some dream interpretation that I've studied says that, that every person in a dream represents a facet of yourself. Do you ever look at dreams that way? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, a dark character or, you know, someone that's nagging me, you know, and I'll have a dream mm. about that person. My mom will say, who right. does that person represent? That It's you. You. It's, it's all you. you. Yeah. yeah. So fascinating. Hmm. I love that that's part. And it's so funny that you said, you know, you ask your kids, like, did you ever dream? And no. You know, I was raised definitely by a mother who was like, you know, trying to stir it up all the time and she ask is. us about she still is and I'm like half the yeah. time I'm into it and half the time I'm still like no um, <laughs> yeah I'll be that way with Penelope and and yeah. our other daughter because you know I can't, you can't help yourself but I think you're so right that kids it develops something in them even if they're not actually wanting to play right now it gives them permission I think it's so important, even though my children are both so different and one of them is less communicative, but he knows he has permission to tell me anything. Right. Even if he doesn't, he has permission. And I think that's equally important. Totally. As the actual conversation. I think that's so true. Mm-hmm. Now, so I know that you guys, you were working in the fitness industry and then you kind of, you had two kids. How old were your kids when you had that moment? Just, can you tell the story about your husband and the spreadsheet? Yeah. Our kids are 18 months apart and yeah. we, we were living in the Bay area. We had bought the house, which is a big deal in the Bay area. It's hard to do. Oh yeah. And you, just, you just work and we're house poor, you know, you work to have the house and to have the life. And we were caught a little bit in this wheel of life versus really living it. And 
we both had this nagging sense of feeling lonely and like we didn't really have a place even though we'd arrived and I think our kids were maybe like one and two and a half so they were and, really little yeah little babies and I was partially at home working on projects for my boss at the time Chris was running all over doing all kinds of things and but things were cooking along and it seemed like you know okay we did it here we are you know we did it and Chris came to me one day and pulled out a spreadsheet out of his pocket which was basically a model to drop what we were doing sell our house and not work for a year and it was a catalyst for both of us first it was just so amazing for me to have my husband come to me with that because his role in our family has been about financial security and making sure we're organized and thoughtful and, you know, moving in the right direction, right? Where I came from this freedom, love, no money, we're fine, you know, <laughs> background. So for him to come to me and say, let's drop out was kind of amazing, right? Because mm-hmm. he saw me and, and I, I really realized in that moment that he valued the same things I did. And it gave us permission, again, that word permission to, we decided not to drop out, but to instead take that money and start a business, a company, start a life around what we valued. And that's, everything shifted. Literally just, I think six months later, we're living in Portland, Oregon. We'd found a studio. We just found a space to renovate us into our first Bar 3 studio. And it just kind of went from there. And so... Obviously, like it takes a lot to grow a company like you've grown. How many locations do you have around the world? We have about, I think, 125, 130. Some of them aren't open yet. Most here in the U.S., some in Canada and in the Philippines. All right. So you have 125-ish, 30 locations Mm -hmm. around the world. You have a whole online membership. Do you still teach classes in Portland? Yeah. How many classes a week do you teach? I try to teach, I definitely teach one a week and I try to teach two a week. And I also am teaching on camera now because we film so often we release a new workout every week. So that's a new way to teach. Yeah, I'm a teacher at heart. That's my craft. That's my purpose. And so you were, so you, you, when you were starting out, you were like dropped out, as you say, can you just say what you mean by dropping out? Getting off the grid, whatever grid you're in, you know, is dropping out. And it's a, it's a term I learned from my aunties because they dropped out in the 60s from mainstream. Kind of the mainstream, what you think is normal. What you think is like, you know, it's like, let's just stop for a minute. It's like a detox in a way. Yeah, We call it the rat race. Yeah. Like, yeah, the rat race. Yeah. The rat race. I, love, yeah. I love just, yeah, it's just so powerful to it to sit and like Mike and I have a pretty unusual life, but even just with that, like what are the ways that we're buying into the normalcy or buying into, you know, like how can we all drop out in little ways? I love just thinking about that. And I think it allows you in terms of buying into the normalcy. I mean, I think it's as long as it's a conscious choice yeah, and rather than being on autopilot, which feels not soulful. And it's not enriching to be on autopilot, but choosing, you know, to work nine to five, choosing your life is a very different, powerful way to live. So for you guys, when you dropped out, you sold the house, you moved to Portland, Oregon, Mm -hmm. and you said you began to build a dream that was based on your values. What were, what are, what were, what are those values? Have they shifted? And what did you build that foundation on? They haven't shifted at all. The main word we focused on is balance. And that's such a loaded word. 
and it's actually the symbol bar three. The the number three is a symbol of balance, yeah, balance. and that's yeah. why. Yeah. We put it there to remind ourselves of this is who we are. This is what we want. And I recently spent a day with a Hindu priest named Donda Pani, who finally articulated what balance is, what I knew it was in me, but I could never find the words for it in a way that made sense. That is sums up what Chris and I are striving to do. He said, balance is managing your energy proportionate to the people and things who matter most to you managing your energy to the people and things, you know, ideas, whatever it is that matter most to you. And I love the energy part. It's not time management. Mm. So I could spend half an hour speaking to you guys on autopilot and just saying the same things I always say, or I can really listen to you and connect with you and be focused with you. That's energy management. Cause that matters to me. Yeah. And that is what, we're building a life around, you know, and, and trying to be more conscious of every day is how to manage our energy. You're totally speaking our language. That's awesome. I love that. And so how did you, you know, getting this startup off the ground, building from scratch and growing pretty quickly, didn't you guys grew pretty quickly? You were profitable within, you said 16 months, I believe. Yeah. I mean, we, that's a pretty big deal for. Yeah. Yeah, we really knew the model. So we worked at 24 Hour Fitness for, I worked there for 11 years and knew the business. And then Chris was concepting small box kind of fitness concepts. So we really understood the model. We went and educated. And then I just worked my butt off. I mean, I taught 19 classes a week. You know, I would just hit the pavement, invite anybody I met into the studio. We had childcare because we had two babies, put a little fence in the lobby. To this day, we have childcare in almost every studio. Chris is holding babies. We were checking people in. I was teaching the classes. And I think because there was so much heart in it, it was an instant success. And you really Uh, created that village in your business. I did. I mean, just yeah. like I would just, when you just said you had childcare, I was like, oh my God, I wish there was a bar three in Portland, Maine. So I could go and have P play while I worked out. That would be amazing. It's magical. How generous. Yeah. It's really lovely. Yeah. It's fun for me now that I don't have babies too. I get my baby fix when I walk into a studio. I can hold totally. I want. <laughs> so that's how you did it with your kids. Cause that was going to be my next question is what, so they were really little when you started this and we know what it takes to start a business. And we started a business when we did not have children and we had a lot of momentum by the time we had a baby. So right. I'm just like, but it's, now it's we're just really hard for time. me to imagine. <laughs> The biggest fail was thinking that I could bring them. And I had this vision of me with the baby on the hip, you know, checking people in like, yeah. I'm such an amazing mother. I can like nurse my baby while teaching practically, yeah. um, but that doesn't work. Right. Yeah. So we right away hired a dedicated childcare person who was there and someone who, and we put our kids in preschool young and, you know, we did have, we had, you had, we had to have that separation and I wanted children and mothers and fathers and the community to be a part of our brand. You know, that was, that was more important to me than trying to do it all. What about like, you started in 2008. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. There was this massive financial (laughs) crash that took place. Like we're probably going to be coming up on another one in the next few years. Yeah. You know, like, so like why in 2008, like I know the drive to start it and leave the, you know, it's to, what, what was the phrase? 
she used to drop leave. out drop out yeah so yeah. to drop out like but what was going on from a economy perspective something you guys were concerned about at that moment every we weren't concerned everybody else was like don't yeah. open in august 2008 are you crazy what are you doing you know and we just i just knew it was yeah. going to be successful and i didn't care about money we had decided we weren't going to make money for a year anyways. So why not try? And I hope I can channel that risky spirit when the economy softens again or crashes, God forbid, but it's probably going to, I mean, we are in for a correction. You're absolutely right. And now that I'm making money and I have a successful company, I hope I can really hold on to that. Because that's a true, sustainable, purpose-driven company if we don't get too reactive or forget to take risk and to do things for the right reason versus just protecting money. Right. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how I'm interested to see what I do professionally and how I keep this business flourishing in that next era. And I think, I mean, what you just said is the same way you talked about like the dreams, right? It's like, you're consciously thinking about what is going to happen and not hiding and be like, it'll never happen. Right. And I think what happened in 2008 is we hid behind it. And I think there's a lot that's hiding behind it now, but at least you're having that conversation. So because what's going to happen is like, you're running an entire organization with a lot of people that look up to you guys as the leaders of your company. And they're going to be like, Oh crap. Like, what do we do now? And I think it's all going to resonate, you know, trickle down where it's your the confidence that you have and what's taking place yeah. also will confidence happen. and consciousness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah to just stay awake during. Exactly. Yeah. That's cool. Exactly. And why are we growing? You know, I think the other thing is not to have explosive growth because that's not sustainable. Our second part of our mission statement is to drive a sustainable financial business. I mean, we literally have those boring words, but it's like, that is so important to us. Sustainability. Yeah. Because sustainability means you can't, you will be healthy during corrections in the economy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And so I know right now you've made a choice to, to just pause franchises, right? We did that for about, I think six or eight months. Okay. Selling franchises, which is a huge part of our business. Yeah. And we've turned it back on Uh and we did that on purpose as an exercise for the company to not be addicted to just the stamping out of the studio, meaning there's a cash influx that comes in when you yeah. franchise and that fee can get it be, become addictive. That's not the reason to franchise yeah. people's money, their savings. They want to grow an amazing company with me. And I didn't want our model to be based on getting more of them. I wanted our model to be healthy without that. Mm. So that when we decide to grow again, which we're doing, we know we're organized well, we have the right team in place, we are controlling our expenses, we are building a sustainable brand that has longevity and isn't a trend. So that when I decide to add on those franchises, they're fully supported. And we did that. It was super uncomfortable to not have that growth. We had to really look inside, just like when you meditate and you stop for a second, you know, your thoughts just come at you from all different directions. You know how uncomfortable that is. Same thing with a company. A company is not that different than who we are as individuals. It's, it's awkward. It's hard to look inside and see that you're not structured quite as well as you could be. And we had to lay off people, which was hard as anything. The human side was, you know, really difficult. 
But I feel really, I'm really proud that we did that as a company and that we're overcoming now and able to grow again in a way that feels right to us. That's awesome. It's really brave. I listened to this interview that Tim Ferriss, you know, Tim Ferriss, you ever heard of the four hour work week? Yeah. He was on the Gary Vaynerchuk podcast because he's promoting his new book and he's out there. And he said, he was talking about growth in companies and organizations. And he said, sometimes, and I think what's happening now is like, you've set the foundation now for what's next for the organization. He like went listening to you talk about it, but he, he called it, it was amazing. He said, he, sometimes I give companies hugs. And so Gary was like, wait, the Tim Ferriss hug. And he said, yeah. And they go under because they're not able to support the growth that comes with that hug. And he's not, he's he like, he's like, I didn't know, you know, he's like, there's so many organizations that I promoted that I really like that failed because they can't support that. They weren't. Yeah. yeah they didn't have the and foundation. The foundation wasn't there. That growth. And it was hilarious. Gary's like the hug. That's amazing. You know? And that's yeah. And it was really interesting to hear that pers- you know, that perspective, especially being in that startup world all the time and stuff. Tim so- Ferris, if you're listening to this, I'm so ready for a hug. Like I will not go under if you hug me. <laughs> you are ready because you took that time, right? That's awesome. You took that time. And so I'd love to know yeah. in that pause, what did you learn about yourself and your business yeah. that was critical? So this next phase, it was my, you know what the irony is? And it just hit me as you said that I've never thought about this. I grew more when we stopped growing than I have this entire time. I grew more and our company grew more in like professional growth, you know, personal growth for me. I took time to pause and step back and look at how can I really serve this company And our friend Noah helped me with this one. I am not a company. I was starting to identify with Bar 3 as me. And my image and who I am as leading a company versus who I am as a person, you know, as a human being. And what I realized in that also is that companies are human beings too. Like we're, it's a human thing we're doing. And when you just grow for the sake of growing, it becomes automated and robotic. And I was starting to become autopilot and robotic. So that was huge for us as an organization and to really look at our core values and really look at what they mean and dig into the finances. You know, someone like me and anyone who's listening to this, you might identify. I've always like valued myself that I don't care about money and that I'm a visionary and an idealist and creative. I'm a creative type, not a numbers type. Right. And really good for me to get uncomfortable. So uncomfortable that I realized I need to roll up my sleeves and understand my profit margins, you know, what cash is in the company, how to forecast it, you know, how to ask the right questions. And that was really good for me to have that experience to trigger that side of me. It Mm. is. It's so powerful to Mm. do that when it makes, especially when it makes you uncomfortable because Mm. you do learn what you're made of and you learn that, you know, as Glennon Doyle says, we can do hard things and it makes you stronger. That's right. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can we talk a little bit about working with your husband? Because it sounds like there was some real growth that came from the pause in the growth, ironically, which is very Yeah. And what have you learned? Like, what have you come up against working with your husband? And how has that helped you grow both personally, but also as a couple? 
And then can you just state, because you're the CEO of Bar 3, correct? Yeah. And then what's your husband's role in that? We actually joke about this. We don't know what our damn titles are, all right? Great. Neither do we. That's great. So I'm CEO, he's COO, but then we like Rochambeau. You be CEO. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true, though, because when you are, like... Being in a personal relationship and a professional relationship are like very, there's an ebb and flow that goes back and forth. And sometimes somebody needs to have control and the other person, you know, and goes yeah, back yes. and yeah. So totally. it is a, it is a weird thing, you know, it's, it's strange, but yeah. I am more the face. I'm clearly the face of the company. Yeah. He is behind the scenes more an incredible leader. You know, he really oversees finance operations, legal. He's also a really amazing listener and, He's just, he has this lovely, accessible, consultative quality about him that's just as much about our culture as I am, you know, and I, I represent more of the movement and the ideals behind what we really care about as an organization. That's, it's really real for me and present for me. So I'm always talking about it and my background with self-awareness and pulling that into the class and the product. I really, I represent the product. So that's how we, that's how we fit leadership wise. What was really fascinating for us. I always thought the reason we're so great is because he fills where I miss, meaning his leadership strengths are my weaknesses and vice versa. We've taken these, all these different tests now and every single one, we're just amazed. We're actually really similar, (laughs) which is dangerous. So we're, we joke about it with our team that we're like the two-headed dragon because we're both starters. We are both visionary and we lack attention to detail and some of these other really key fact finding, you know, these key things that you need to be a strong organization. So we've built a really amazing executive leadership team around where both of our weaknesses are. I think that's part of our struggles that we're so similar you know, even though we have different roles, we're really, we're similar in styles of leadership. Mm-hmm. And then we parent together. We do everything together. So we, that gets confusing. It's like, <laughs> are you picking her up from soccer? I don't know. Are you picking her up from soccer? Who's making dinner tonight? Like, you know, did you take out the garbage? No, I didn't. Take, you know, we don't have clear, like we do everything. Do well, you're both visionary, so you're both imagining someone else is picking up the children, <laughs> but then the deep orientation is like, oh, wait, somebody actually has to go do it, I guess. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. It's spot on. Yeah. We're not, we're not do you family. have clear, like, do you have, I mean, it sounds like maybe not, but maybe you do. Do you have, like, clear roles and responsibilities of who does what within your company, or is it more fluid? No, it's clear. Okay. And that's something we, it wasn't always that way at the beginning. It was paint your own canvas, which is a really beautiful, that's startup mentality. Right. And as we're now, we're in that scaling mode where absolute structure and clarity around roles and responsibilities is very important. And everybody flourishes in that environment. So it's, it's becoming, I would say my role, the two of us are still really trying to get more crystallized about our specific roles in the company. And so everyone really understands that. And our whole home office, we have 55 full-time employees. We've done a lot of work on that, like just really making sure everybody really understands what their role is and how they work together. Hmm. That's amazing. And then from a dude perspective, I'll just ask this because this is something we've talked about a lot. Like how has it been for, and I know, I know you can speak for your husband about this, but you know, he's not here. So, mm-hmm. uh, but like, how's it been for him 
or if there ever was an issue for him, like with you being the front of the company and he kind of being behind the scenes. So was there anything that you guys have ever talked about regarding that? Such a good question. And yes, I think him finding his own voice is really important. And he talks about that and being confident that a magnetic leader, it's not always the leader that's on the stage with the microphone. Yeah. You know, there are beautiful magnetic leaders who never get on the stage and that's who he is. But our society kind of recognizes me more as that person, you know? And so I think that has been a conversation for us that we're both really important and I always reinforce it. I'll give you a specific example with the stage microphone. I just presented at our owner summit. So all of our owners came in from around the country and I presented on a new topic, this topic of the mind and awareness and energy, which I've never presented on before. He sat there with me and it was our magic. He's the, he coached me on it. So he helped me with all the slides and cause I had all these big giant ideas and how I wanted to present it. And he helped me distill it, articulate it, ground it. So it was humble and thoughtful versus just kind of rock starry, you know? Mm -hmm. And I told him in that moment, I said, do you feel this? This is our magic. Like I need you just as much as the, you know, I'm going to get up on the stage and present all this, but if I didn't have you doing this, I wouldn't be able to get up on that stage. And so, you know, it's just equally valid and important how, you know, our two roles and our, the way we voice who we are as individuals. Mm Mm-hmm. That is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I just totally like I had a great question that I wanted to ask you and it completely, I'm having, I'm having pregnancy brain. It just went. (laughs) It happens. happens. (laughs) I don't have pregnancy to blame anymore. I miss that. But you have two kids and like a massive business. So it's cool. (laughs) Oh, I know. Um, (laughs) It came back. If you miss it. Just come on over to Maine and, uh, you know, in like April and we'll go away for a couple of days and you can, <laughs> you'll get it right back. You can have the yeah. baby for you know, five or six days. And- exactly. <laughs> so I want to know, so, okay. So do you guys work from home or do you have an office that you go to every day? We have an office. Yeah. yeah okay. Our headquarters. And awesome. I work from home too. I'm home right now. Okay. Yeah. So it's a little kind of fluid. Yeah. Do you have any like spoken boundaries around like when business ends and when life starts or anything like that. Cause that's something we've run into. We have it less cause we hired a president for our company. So now we nice. don't talk about business all the time in the way that we used to, which is such a blessing, <laughs> but I'm just curious. Do you guys have boundaries around that or do you just kind of let it flow? We don't tend to talk about business a lot, And that's more because of Chris. He's really naturally clear with boundaries. It's amazing. He sets them really effortlessly. The biggest one for us is the phone. It's not necessarily business. It's always being available, always being on is the hardest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and having kids too, right? Like with kids and technology, we're not really like we're just, you know, Penelope just has started watching like Moana and a little bit of Daniel Tiger. And I feel like I have to say, I have a lot of feelings that are, (laughs) that have come up around that because when she wants to watch it and we say, no, she has a complete and total meltdown. And I was like, this is why I didn't want to start because I didn't want to have this. And so I'm curious just from, you know, she has that with you. She doesn't have that with me. Okay, fine. Yeah. (laughs) I'm clear on my boundaries with her. Oh my God. 
I know she can feel I, I have like funny energy. It was around like it. last night, the other, it was like the other night you came downstairs and were like, okay, Penelope, we're going to stop watching Moana. And you were like trying to tell her about it. I'm, I like just go take the remote out. I'm like, yeah, we're done. Okay. Bye. You know? know? And it was just, yeah. It's totally true. But I'm curious, you know, knowing that businesses run mobily so much and with the phones, right? Yeah. What, what do you guys do in your house around technology? Just either, either you and Chris and then, and then with your kids. We set rules and we talk about them and we practice them. And it takes a conscious approach because the phone is literally addictive. Yeah. There's studies on it, right? It's, yeah. We're dependent on it. And instead of controlling the phone, often I'll speak for myself, the phone was controlling me, right? And an example for me, an aha I had was when I think of my core values, the three most important things are gratitudes, nature, and family. And all three of those things come together when I'm on a hike with my family. And then I have my phone with me taking pictures and then looking at the picture versus focusing on the moment of being on the hike with the kid, right? Taking the pic. Oh wait, let's do that again. Let's do that again. Let's do that again. And even worse, posting it in that moment. Right on then. Yeah, totally. And then figuring out the clever hashtag and, you know, showing everybody that I'm healthy. I'm, I'm showing everybody that I'm healthy. I'm with my family. I'm on a hike, you know, <laughs> there's nothing healthy about that. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of my work is to be a wellness figure, which I'm actually, I've decoupled from that. I've decided not to do that because that's not healthy. And so, and a practice we've established and I'm modeling for my kids who will eventually have social media. Audrey just got it is take a picture. Don't look at it. Pretend like it's film. Look at it that night and decide, is this a moment to protect or is this a moment to share? Mm. (laughs) And if it's a moment to share, why, you know? And so it's those kinds of conversations that we're having in our household and trying to model as best we can. It's confusing time. It's confusing. Mm-hmm. I think that is so, I love that. Is this a moment to protect or is this a moment to share? I like that. It's a mm-hmm. great rule of thumb. It's like and why slow down and why and then the why yeah like that's yeah. a really just great way to slow down the automatic process and to drop out of kind of like the social media you know circus yeah. Yeah. frenzy just like yeah. slow it down so if you've decoupled yourself from being kind of like a wellness model or a wellness figure what do like obviously you're the CEO of a huge company. So clearly that's part of your identity. You're a mom, (laughs) obviously do. Like, what do you align with if it's not being a wellness figure? A woman with a voice that matters. And whether that I'm a CEO teaching an exercise class or read an interesting book or walking with the dogs or, (laughs) you know, whatever I do that I still matter. And I think what's happened is we've turned, we have such a guru society where we follow people because they matter more. And I don't like that. I reject that. And I found myself kind of falling into that. And it's not, I really believe everybody's a teacher and everybody's a student and some people shine more as teachers. So that's great. But a real teacher models behavior that we look up to you. The real teachers, as you guys know, are the ones that teach in the in-between moments, not just in front of the classroom. It's that interaction at the water cooler or in the in-between where lessons are really taught. 
So that's just, that was sort of my aha as, you know, oh, I'm healthy on a hike with my kids taking a picture. So everybody can see that it's healthy to be on a hike with your kids and just how silly and ridiculous that is. And, you know, I also think that wellness and health is how each of us individually connect our relationship with exercise, our relationship with food, our relationship with other people is what makes us healthy, not actually what we're eating, how we're moving, or the people that we're hanging out with. It's the relationship we have with all those things. Can you give it like, can you dig more into that? So let's just take food, for instance, right? So can you dive into like an example that you're thinking, you know, and I, yeah, so just what that means a little bit more. Yeah, so I could have a protein shake that's 600 calories to get my calories in my body and then move for 600 calories. So I'm now I'm even, right? Calories in, calories out. Right. And just kind of slug down that shake, right? That's one thing. Or I can go buy my lettuce at the farmer's market and the goat cheese from the goat cheese farmer and the baker, you know, come home, cut the lettuce, you know, whatever. Even if it's an ice cream shake, you know, from the local ice cream parlor, you know, that I bought the ice cream from this person and I know where the ice cream came from and I'm making, doesn't even have to, that's a relationship with food versus thinking of it as something that's going to give me energy, give me entertainment, make me fat, make me skinny. I think when we get in that trap, we, we lose we lose our relationship with food and we start to shame spiral and guilt ourselves, you know, take food out of the grocery cart versus putting food in the grocery cart. And, you know, thinking of food as something that's abundant and beautiful and that we actually know versus it coming from a carton and giving and promising to deliver some kind of amazing result. And that's just one example of like, you know, food and relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think the most sacred space universally for all of us who have families is around the dinner table. Yes. Right. It's when we come together and that's fine if that's with a big bucket of Kentucky fried chicken, by the way, too. Sometimes that's real, right? It's like we're busy, but you know, it's coming together and, and having a relationship around mealtime is I think also really important. I completely agree. Yeah, actually, just having family dinners, just the three of us, is one of the most special parts of our day, you know, and our daughter's too, so she doesn't sit for very long. But just just teaching, you know, teaching to do grace, and she loves to do grace, and just like the community around gratitude and food and how we feel while we're eating just as much as what we're eating. Mm -hmm. Right. I love that piece that you brought. And, you know, being somebody who is in the fitness world, it's really refreshing to hear a perspective that's not about just like, oh, well, if you do this, you're going to get skinny. Yeah. You know, because there's just enough of that. That doesn't work. Just practically, I just saw the recent study, 40% of Americans are obese and gym memberships are at an all time high. Mm Mm-hmm. So what we're doing, and this has been the story for me for 25, I've been in the fitness industry for 25 years. Obesity continues to go up along with a booming fitness business. So I think that's, there's some, we're missing the mark here, right? It's not working. Our approach, our, our psychology around food and exercise and health is not working. 
Right. And I think, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know it's not working. <laughs> well, I think you, t- I mean, I don't know what the answer is obviously either, but <laughs> I do think you touched on it with the piece about your relationship with the food mm-hmm. and your relationship with movement and sort of like the why behind it. Exactly. I think that's huge. That's what you can talk about that for an hour. Yeah. Just that in itself. I have, uh, I know we have to wrap up here pretty yeah. soon. Can you explain to me, because I've never been to a class, like what is bar class? Yeah, we probably should have said that so, at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, like what, it, what, like if I go to a class, like what am I doing? Well, bar, so bar is a niche in itself. So I'm going to talk about bar and then bar three, which is. Okay, like, great. Because I think, and, but, and that's also my challenge because my name has been lumped in with a big niche. It's like yoga. If you just say, I do yoga, but there's Iyengar yoga, Ashtanga yoga, Hatha yoga, Yin yoga, right? But bar is, we use every bar studio I've been to, by the way, all my competitors are amazing. It's a really beautiful workout. And most of my main competitors are run by women and founded by women, which I think is super rad. I have mad respect for them. And it's basically a low impact workout that focuses on isometric exercises, meaning holding your body and contracting the muscle at the deepest point, and then adding in a real small kind of range of motion to tax the muscle even deeper. And the ballet bar is used for balance in some traditional kind of dance like postures, but also lunges and push-ups and other things that are unconventional. It's athletic. There's no choreography needed. It is beat driven. So there's music, but there's no dance. It's very simple, low impact, repetitive, isometric moves that quickly shape the body. And bar three and most bar programs are attached to a heritage called the Lottie Burke method. And she was a dancer who rehabbed her body at a ballet bar and brought in physical therapy. Bar three is not attached to that heritage. The only thing we're attached to is giving a kind of how we differentiate is giving the student, the clients full permission to know that they are their own best teacher. So we're the guide will guide them through different postures. And then we give them lots of permission and opportunity and we train them how to modify every single move to fit exactly what they need in the moment. So a lot of times in group exercise, you know, there's a pressure to do plank on the floor because everybody's doing plank on the floor. But if you have, you know, your wrist is hurting or your shoulders swollen, that's probably not the best move. And so what we always say is, you know, you're not just going to practice building muscle and sweat in our classes. You're going to practice standing up for yourself. Mm -hmm. You're going to practice being resilient. You're going to practice being confident and secure in your body because we're going to give you full permission to make this class your own and to literally own your experience, own every minute of your class. That's what I'm attached to. Our classes, the movements in our classes, it's a 60 minute workout in our studios are constantly evolving and changing. Whereas most bar programs have kind of a system of movement, sort of like Bikram yoga has the same 26 postures. We constantly evolve and add in new postures over time. Cool. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. Have you ever been to one? Just the one time with Sadie in New York. I should like, there's not one in Maine. Yeah, but there you can stream a workout. 
Oh, cool. So, we should install a bar in the, in the gym. I, I actually, as Sadie was speaking, I was like, yeah, we should install a bar in our gym. But, but it looks a gym like in our you garage. could maybe also do it with a gym. Yeah, all of our, we don't depend on the ballet bar. All of our oh. online workouts are without a ballet bar. It's the same principles without, and all you need is the real estate of like the size of a yoga mat and you'll be set. Great. Yeah. Okay. I'll do we it. Should, yeah, we should try it. Um, so I have one more question regarding how has it been for you from a business perspective, but also just you as a teacher going from an, a physical location like brick and mortar to this online, you know, classes, right. And how has that changed kind of what you're doing? How is that affecting franchises as they've grown? I have a, like tons more questions about franchise, but we don't have the time for that at this moment. <laughs> but like, how has that affected kind of what you guys have been doing and like your ability uh, to reach people and the same type of keeping your culture the same? Yeah. Well, we have a very purposeful way of filming, first of all, because the great business story is I have active online subscribers. So the people that are actually doing the workouts in 97 countries, I was chatting with a woman on the comment board from Rwanda who was doing our classes the other day. You know, I have a global platform and I can put my top world-class teachers in front of the camera and instantly we're global. So, you know, that's been really wonderful for us to be able to scale like that Mm -hmm. in a way that protects the quality of our company and the brand and the level of teaching that is my product, right? That's what we're selling as a remarkable class. So that's been really beautiful. And I firmly believe exercise is not the answer to health, that relationships are just as benefit driven and results oriented as movement is and your relationship to movement is just as important as how you move or how long you move, you know, how long you exercise for. So our challenge has been, how do we jump through the computer screen, right? Through the camera and really connect on a human level and show up real. And how do we engage with all those people around the world? And so we're constantly looking at that. And one thing we do right before we go on camera every time is, we get together because as soon as you go on camera, there's this heightened awareness of what you look like, at least for all of us, what we look like and do we look the part and are we good enough? And we have a mantra where we say, my power is not in the way I look or I come across. It's my powers and my wisdom and my words and my ability to connect with you. And so when we look into that camera, as we're filming those workouts, we're really thinking about you know, a woman in Minneapolis in her living room or my mom or my sister or, you know, and we don't edit. So if we mess up, we keep going. You know, we, we, it's not overly produced. We do our own hair and makeup. We don't wear makeup. We wear whatever's in the closet that day. You know, so that's how we've kind of worked towards humanizing the digital experience, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. Thank you for that super inspired by it. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you all day. Of course, we have a million questions about your business model and all sorts of things. So we might have to have you back someday. (laughs) I could talk to you guys all day too. Thank you so much. This has been really a pleasure. So where would you like people to come and find you? Easiest place is bar3.com. B-A-R-R-E, the number three.com. And we have Instagram as well. And Facebook. I do too. Sadie Lincoln is my Instagram love chatting and connecting there as well. Yeah. Awesome. And then what, so I have one last question okay, and then great. you can ask the last question, but like, so as you're growing, cause it sounds like 
like you have bar three, which is your company, right? But then you have Sadie Lincoln, who's you as the person. So like, where do you see, cause you talked about earlier is like being a woman with a voice. Mm-hmm. And so how do you see that playing out? Let's say the next, I don't know, 10 years. And for yourself, that's going to be a little bit like, do you see that going a different direction than bar three? Or are you still going to be the front of bar three? Like, how is that? I don't know. I just got some hit to ask you about. What this. is your why. desire? Yeah. Bar three, be my ask question. <laughs> bar three is not dependent on me. Right. And I have the most beautiful people running this company already. And I want to continue that. I do not want this to be the CD Lincoln method. I do not want to be a guru. I'm an anti-guru, right? And the minute I think that I need to be attached to bar three or bar three needs to be attached to me, that's a wake up call for me. That's not what I want to build. And I want everybody to have a fierce voice within bar three. And that's that whole idea. One of our mantras is make it your own that, and we train our teachers on this and that's no different than me as a CEO, all of our teachers, we talk to them about it. It's a false sense of power to think you have power when 25 people are following your class religiously, right? That's not your real power. The following isn't your real power. Your real power is in teaching each one of those people that they are their own best teacher, that they own their experience, that they matter. They actually, when we have 25 people in class in our studio, every single person informs that experience, the vibe, the feeling, the support, the beat. There's just this like group energy that everybody participates in and make that class what it is. And the teacher just happens to be the guardrails and can kind of guide it. And that's what I do for the company. I sort of guide and I put up guardrails just to protect and keep a brand strong. But the rest is just going. It's out of my control. It's not my power. It's all these amazing people. So that's what I, that's, I'm just, that's how I'm going to focus into the future for however long I stay with bar three. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. This is a very refreshing conversation. Thanks so much for joining us again after all these years. Yeah. I'll come to Portland and show up in your studio one day. I'm sure. I'd love that. Love that. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Sadie. This is great. Bye-bye. What's up people. It is Mike Watts here. Closing out this episode of the Kate and Mike show. I just wanted to touch base with you because something really cool has started to happen post this, you know, closing of origin, et cetera, is that we just opened up the doors and we're currently opening up the doors for not only Mike J. Watts, but also I will be doing other business consulting for those of you that have a small business or a large business or an entrepreneur or starting out, et cetera. But basically I like to think of myself as the business architect and I help establish business owners and entrepreneurs build solid operating structures so they can scale to the next level of revenue. And this is the first time in a long time that we've actually opened the doors for business consulting to help you really systematize what you actually have going on. So my skill set would be looking at the systems that a business has in place and reviewing those systems, where the income streams are coming in, where's the advertising, what are you actually doing, and then streamlining what's actually going on. The last person that I helped with this, I saved her $8,000 within our first hour because she ended up with spending $4,000 a month on things that she didn't actually need right there. And it's just stuff like that where we're constantly, as we're running a business, we are always spending money on something, right? And so it's about making sure that that something 
is working out well for everyone and not only everyone as a customer, but also you as the business owner. So we've opened the doors for that. You can check out more information at MikeJWatts.com. Once again, that's MikeJWatts.com. If you need some help when it comes to your systems, if you need some just consulting when it comes to your actual business, where your income streams are coming about, how you can go about growing your business, etc. I mean, I started this with zero income up and we are, we've really built a solid six figure business. And this will be the first year that we'll be eclipsing seven figures. So it's pretty dope and pretty excited to see what else comes forward. So if you want to know more about that, you can just fill out the form at MikeJWatts.com. There's a section under work with me. You can review more about that information. I look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode of the Kate and Mike show. Have a great rest of the day. Cheers.